Welcome to WeRDB. I am Brenton, joined as always by Danielle. That's me. Thanks again for joining us as we count up the IMDb's best movies of all time and discuss some of the greatest films you mightn't ever have seen. This week, rated as number 46 on the Internet Movie Database by millions of film lovers from around the world is The Prestige. Released in 2006, starring Christian Bale and Hugh Jackman as the two leads, The Prestige is a thriller, I guess? I don't know what genre this would be. No, it's a drama. Mystery drama? Yeah. It's not a thriller. Set in Victorian-era London. Based on the 1995 novel of the same name by Christopher Priest, The Prestige is written for the screen by Jonathan and Christopher Nolan and is co-produced and directed by Christopher Nolan. Now, Jonathan Nolan has helped write a lot of his brother's projects before, including this, Memento, the Dark Knight trilogy, and Interstellar. And I really quite like his his work and the stuff that they do t- together. Um, and I think Christopher Nolan is really going to go down in history as one of the greats. Like he, We've spoken about Nolan's work quite a lot on this podcast, and I think that's because he has one of the highest percentage of films in the top 100, probably because he's one of the most... like prolific directors working today more about quality than quantity with nolan he really does kind of have his own flavor like almost in the same way that tarantino does like you can pick a nolan film in the same way you can pick a tarantino film not that they're at all the same but you know what i think that flavor actually is is his use of time every single one of his movies even the ones that you wouldn't even think of like the dark knight uses time in interesting ways and it's it's weird that like what's your flavor as a director it's time it's the concept of time it's how i use it it's how i make non-linear story structures it's like it's a weird answer to that but that's basically who he is um and his new one tenant is going to be very interesting exploring that sort of element of time as well because the prestige is like all over the place it's very non-linear but i made a note of like Right from when I started watching it this time, because this is the second time I've seen it and the third time you've seen it. Yes. Um, I was like, it starts here? Like, it's weird because I remembered the story very, very linearly and chronologically, and it's not at all presented that way. It bounces all over the place. And for how much it moves around, I found it incredibly easy to follow. It is, isn't it? Which is really interesting because I thought to myself, like, if you hadn't seen this before, it'd be so confusing because the shifts, like the cuts in time, they're not well defined, you Mm. know? There's not a lot of changes to, say, like, facial hair or styles or wealth to indicate that something has changed, that time has passed, or that you're back. Like, there's a little bit of that, but not as much as you would typically expect yeah, even though it's all shuffled around, it's done in a really quite clever way. Mm. I think, like, the opening shot of this shows you, like, the twist ending, but you don't know what you're looking at. There's a lot of the ending that's shown right at the beginning. 
And I just think this movie's got balls for being able to do that because even the very first line that's being told is, are you watching closely? Here's the ending. Watch closely. And now let's show you the story. And that's just like, Oh, I guess. You know, like, I feel like not only is this better on a second watch, it demands it. It really requires it because, like, there is so many little things throughout this entire movie, not just at the beginning, that are changed just from knowing the ending. It's a completely different movie on a second watch. Like, I've always loved that with reading stories, is if there's something at the end that completely makes me experience your work again from a completely different light, just from me knowing this one thing, that's brilliant storytelling. And I think Mm. The Prestige is one of the best examples of that. Yeah, no, I'd agree. And there's a lot of little hints, and I think it must be very difficult to put those little hints in there without giving too much away. You know See, what I and mean? for those of you who are listening to this who haven't seen The Prestige, I hate going into a movie when someone's like, did you see the twist? And I'm like, well, fuck, now I'm looking for a twist, right? Mm. I'm not scared about that with The Prestige because you're not going to guess it. You're not going to no. have any idea. Just go into it and just watch it and experience it and you'll still get that gut punch by the end of the movie. It's pretty amazing. If you don't listen to spoilers first. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm just saying, I for this one, I don't think saying that there's a twist is a spoiler. Because in a lot of movies, it is. Yeah. I didn't realize until now that, like, not only does Christopher Nolan often work with his brother, but he also produces all of his movies with his wife, Emma Thomas. So it's kind of a close-knit sort of production that he, he sort of has. Maybe that's why it works so well. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Like... For some people, that'd be, like, career suicide, depending on who your family is. But for others, if it works and it gels, then it works. Well, you see a lot of great directors just, like, once they get into a niche with someone and someone, like, really understands what they're trying to get out of them. You just run with it. You just keep going. You keep using the same people. That's why Christopher Nolan himself uses Michael Caine a lot. He uses Hans Zimmer to do his scores, you know. And he works with the same people. You see everyone do this in in the industry. He actually did fair bit with christian bale too yeah yeah and tom hardy actually yeah and hathaway's been in a couple yep i can think of three that tom hardy's been in what was the third one i'm thinking of dunkirk and inception i was thinking inception dark knight and uh oh he's in dark knight rises that's right yeah what i'm really impressed by with his body of work is that he's got a lot of original screenplay stuff he's got a lot of big budget studio stuff like the dark knight he's got batman under his wing he's Mm -hmm. got stuff that are based on other people's works like this is based on a novel he's got one based on his brother's short story he's got one based on real events in dunkirk and yet all of these different origins where these stories are coming from he's able to bring his own twist to it and make it his own and i think Mm -hmm. that's really impressive Mm. Like, for someone to make a Batman movie feel like their own is really impressive. And I Mm. really hope that Matt Reeves is going to do that with the new Batman that's coming up. I feel like he has the opportunity to more than a lot of people have with big properties like that. Well, and honestly, I feel like the fact that Nolan made that Batman movie made the movie. You know what I mean? Like, it it made it... Yeah, if anyone else tried to do that Dark Knight movie, it wouldn't be nearly as good. Well, and there's something about it where it's like, you look at it and you're like, 
if you figure out it's Nolan, it's like, oh, duh, of course it is. But on first watch, if you didn't know, it still fits into the box office sphere of what Hollywood and and superhero movies want to be. Not at the time, because I think that was, we've spoken on that episode, uh, that one was quite unique in the fact that it was grounded in reality and a lot of other Mm. box office ones. Like, if if someone else had grabbed that project, they probably would bring in more of the creatures or supernatural elements that are in the Batman universe. Um, So I think that is one of the more unique things that he brought to that. Mm. Maybe. I actually think... Like, this is a really great movie, much like other Christopher Nolan movies, but similar to his other stuff, like I've said this before in Interstellar and Inception, it's not really one to just throw on and rewatch. Like, I love his stuff, but I never really want to go back to it. We had to psych ourselves up so much to go watch this again, and then it was it was fine. But, like, I just remember thinking, like, fuck, like, I don't feel like watching this mindfuck thing today yeah (laughs) you know we've had a busy week and um this movie is actually really deep it's deeper than you might originally think this is actually like really messed up and it kind of needs to be analyzed a little bit as to what is actually going on here and it's i was gonna say it's impressive because the premise is actually surprisingly simple but that's probably why nolan's able to explore and deepen the meaning around that premise is because it is such a simple premise whereas if Mm. it was a complex story there wouldn't be as much room for that you know without making it like yeah you know like that was more about the story and not the meaning of the story this is a lot more about the emotions Mm. and the meaning and thinking about how do the characters feel because premise is very simple Compared to a lot of other Christopher Nolan movies, these characters are more fleshed out and more in-depth than a lot of other ones. I would even say more so than Leo DiCaprio's Cobb. Maybe the character that's in Memento has as much, but like just from watching these two guys, particularly Hugh Jackman's character, he's got a lot behind him. Like He's really fleshed out the character. Um, and he's not just a pawn, because I feel like Matthew McConaughey's character is more of a sort of, let's use this character to tell the larger story, while with the prestige, the characters are the story. And I think that's a testament to their acting ability and whoever... Oh, Hugh Jackman's excellent in this. Right? Like, I don't think Leo could play a role like this. Mm, interesting. I, I don't. Um... Christian Bale is actually quite a chameleon. Not as much as as we've talked about with, like, Tom Hardy, but... I think I like Christian Bale better in other movies. I liked him in this. I thought thought this was... Yeah, like, I'd agree with that, but I I think it's still pretty impressive. It's good. It is good. There's actually quite a big cast in this. You've got Scarlett Johansson and Michael Caine, obviously, because it's a Christopher Nolan movie. Um... So this movie really is just about what these two men are willing to go through and sacrifice, really, for a good trick and revenge. And it's just... Yeah. This, like, it's an interest. It is an interesting premise, and it was based on the Christopher Priest novel. It's, it's kind of a unique one in that, because I haven't seen a movie quite like this, not only in the way that it's shot and the characters, but just the premise of it. Yeah. Do you think there's a reason why... 
this is set in Victorian era? Is it just because those sort of stage shows were much more popular back then? I think so. Okay. I don't think I do you like can necessarily the get this the same way. Like, what are two actors going to do to to upstage each other? Mm. You know what I mean? Like, there's no secret that you could steal. You know, there's in a lot of other professions, there's no trick of the trade that you could take. You know what I mean? Mm. That would like totally undermine someone's career. See, that's why I think um, this is this is quite unique and an interesting premise. And there's also not a lot of things where you're actually, like, risking your life. So you wouldn't get sort of the revenge sort of trait throughout them. You probably could professionally, I guess, but this is a personal thing. Mm. So this movie really does require more of an in-depth discussion, so we're going to go into spoilers now. This is your spoiler warning. So the timeline is very non-linear. And in some places it works, and in some places I'm, I think to myself, you know, why do it that way? Like, it doesn't add anything. So I wanted to have your opinion on that. So in my opinion, one of the places where it works really, really well to jump around a lot is the reading of the diaries. Yeah. When they, like, because... Because they're both reading each other's diaries at some point. Well, and at the same time, and so... It's kind of Inception-esque because, you know, you're in a time period reading about the past, about someone who's reading about the past. You know what I mean? It's like a seed in a seed kind of thing Mm. a little bit. And I quite appreciate it there. It works well there because you immediately go from what's happening to one person to what the other one thinks about what's happening to them kind of thing. It, It works well. Whereas in other places... I don't really get the point. Like, what was the point with opening in the middle? You know, the movie opens in the middle of the chronological timeline when Hugh Jackman's character's in Colorado. Yeah, because I was a little confused as to when was he exactly in Colorado, especially the first time I watched this. Um, I think it's just a lot of movies do this where it's like, here's sort of what, what we're going to lead towards. Now let's go back and see how you got there. I but think even that's then, all it is. It wasn't even really a let's lead toward this worthy moment. Yeah. You know what I mean? No, so I agree. it makes me wonder, like, well, why pick that one? Because other times it's like, oh, obviously this is significant. Maybe it was just Nolan showing you what happens towards the end of this movie and saying, just look closely. I don't know. Yeah. I see what you're saying where it's not really essential. I mean, and. I just wanted to definitely note in certain points it really did enhance the storytelling and in certain points it was like it really didn't need it. Could have mm. gone less confusing. Again, all that said, it was still... Maybe it's because I knew what, what was going on. It was very easy to follow. It was very surprising to me that it opened at that point because I'm like, I remember this and I don't remember it happening here. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I do really like how they incorporated the real-life Tesla and his experimentations into the story because you could have had a character that was sort of inspired by both Tesla and Thomas Edison, like this eccentric sort of guy, but you took the actual Tesla, played by David Bowie for some reason, and you incorporated it into the story as a really important piece, and it's done really well. Like, I just think... I imagine that's from the novel, but all the rest of it's really quite fictionalized, and there's a bit of supernatural elements in there, but... I like how they incorporate a real-life events into it really well. 
Yeah. Well, and again, it's like, why? Because this movie spends so much time, honestly, in reality and creating illusions to jump into the supernatural and the metaphysical. It is a little bit it's a jarring. Weird jump. Like it's yeah. to me, it's kind of Green Mile esque. It is, and we spoke about in the Green Mile episode. I like my movies to be either one or the other. I don't like one that's a serious drama where it's following along with these characters and then boom, there's a supernatural thing because it really takes me out of it. See, that being taken out of it, that's how I felt with this one the first time I watched it. I didn't feel that way with the Green Mile, but with this Mm. one, you're going along and you're so... And it's a good, like three quarters of the movie before the, those yeah, elements are introduced to it. And so you're really settled in the way that things are working and the the way that things are going. So then it is really jarring. And it's like, well, why? And where did it come from? And That's actually an interesting comparison to Green Mile. Yeah. Like, it just felt so out of left field to me. Mm. It still worked and it still... The story wouldn't have been the same and wouldn't have had the same messages if it hadn't gone that way. And I think that's why he added it in there. Well, and I think that was the author, not Nolan. I think that was the author of the story. Yeah, Yeah, Um, that's what I mean. Because you wouldn't be able to see how obsessed these people are and what they're willing to sacrifice. And the actual moral and ethical dilemmas that are actually being presented towards them without having that supernatural element push them past this brink. Like, how much more can you lose than, you know, your fingers, your family, your life? Oh, I can kill myself every single night for a hundred nights. That's that's a new level, you know what I mean? Like, he's really trying... Yeah. The author was really trying to show you what level these guys are actually at. And I find it fascinating. It's actually fucked. It's really messed up. It's really messed up. And I think about it and I'm like, I kind of want to sit down with the author and be like, how did you come up with this shit? Yeah. You know, like, are you disturbed a little bit? That's the part that I take away the most is every night that Hugh Jackman is performing towards the end of this movie, he steps up on stage and he knows that he's about to drown himself just for the act and just for revenge. Well, and that's the thing that I'm trying to wrap my head around is that When the machine duplicates him, like, God, I hope you people have watched the movie. Otherwise, this is going to sound like so insane. We're in spoilers now, so. Um, When the machine duplicates him, which one remains in the machine? I think it's the original. Whoever steps into the machine is the one that drops through. And then a new one is created outside in the street. It's kind of hard to premise, like, wherever, wherever that box is is where he comes out. So the original dies. I think so. I'm pretty sure the original dies. That's so fucked. It is. And I thought it was really messed up too. Part of the reason it's set up for you to understand why he's okay with doing that is because Michael Caine's character says, I told you about a sailor who got caught in the sails and almost drowned when a ship Mm. sank. And he said it was like going home. I think that's a brilliant little seed that he's planted towards the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Um, that leads Hugh Jackman's character 
to think, oh, this is fine. This is a good thing to do. It's like going home is what he described It'll it be less painful. Like, but it'll Michael Caine okay. did not know what he would do with that information. Like, he took that and ran with it. And he's like, ah, it was pure agony. I was just making you feel better because that's how your wife died. I was just lying to you to make you feel more comforted. Yeah. Like, it was actually, it's actually horrible. Can I just say, there was a... A video on YouTube by Vsauce, Mm. he was um, breaking down and analyzing what is considered the scariest thing, and he was looking at statistics and what people, he went around interviewing people, um, and he found that a lot of people, you know, it's death or public speaking, and it's like, okay, well, some people don't fear death, and and what kind of death, you know? Essentially, Mm. after his analysis, he found that drowning is the scariest thing to happen to a human being. It's the uncontrollable act of not being able to breathe is the most scariest thing. Like, it's the antithesis of everything that's natural. That's the most agonizing thing that you could put someone through, and I think that's really important when you're watching this, is that he was doing that to himself a hundred times (laughs) just for an act. And I think that it's a really interesting video because he actually, like, breaks it down. Um, and I'd highly recommend that. But I think that really needs to be taken into account. This isn't... Why wouldn't he just, like, go into a soundproof box with a gun there or something? You know, it's like, yes, that's morbid, but it's it'd be better than the alternative. Drowning would be terrifying. Yeah, like, it'd be scary and painful. Whereas one, honestly, would just be kind of painful, but you could Quicker. still yeah. think. And it wouldn't be so anti-instinctual, you know? Yeah, I can see that. Because the thing is, like, your reptilian brain would be freaking out the whole time. Reptilian brain? Yeah, it's it's the oldest part of our brain at the back here, um, the cerebellum, and it controls all of our basic urges and instincts like hunger and fear and okay. things like that. Um, so you're, you're going back to the most primal part of your brain and you're freaking it the fuck out. There'd be no rationality. And usually when there's no rationality, that's the bit you could rely on. And now you can't rely on that either. You know? Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just, it's so messed up. And then that's probably the, the, the most messed up level of this movie. But that's not the only thread of this that's like really messed up. No, like, Danton is actually, like, it's so interesting because he's actually insane and unfathomably obsessed because something I forgot about watching it the first few times, he ends up taking Alfred's daughter and taking her to the prison to say a big fuck you. Eventually, yeah, Michael Caine does take her from him. But the fact that he also, like, he takes possession of his daughter, like, Jesus, man. Yeah. You're crazy. Like, like you've gone beyond here. You know? Yeah, this is way more than just a bit of revenge. And I don't even think that Christian Bale's character in the beginning meant to kill her. He wasn't trying no. to. What he was actually trying to do was make the trick better. Because yeah. they're saying, like, the slipknot isn't strong enough. Like, if it fails, she'll fall and she'll break her leg. So he's trying. I don't think he deserved all the no. shit that these people go through. Well, and the thing, too, is, like, you just, you look at the tit-for-tats and they're never equal. Yeah, they're all just escalating. I killed your wife by accident, but you tried to kill me. So I lose some fingers. So I'm going to get you back because you tried to kill me and I lost some fingers. But also, like, 
I killed your wife, so you should probably be like, eh, fair enough. But it doesn't end there. It just keeps going and going. You know, and mm. it's like, well, you're trying to steal my trick, so I'm going to steal your daughter. Like, it's just like, it's a lot of, like, get some perspective, yeah. people. He, he, he uses one of these multiple duplicates that he's creating to frame him, get him sentenced to death. And then while he's on death row, he goes and visits him as a big, like, fuck you, I'm still alive. And then Bale's brother goes and shoots him as a big fuck you to you. Like, you just, oh, this is a good movie. <laughs> mm. So, and that is, da, da 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 here's the big twist, is that there's no one Alfred. I like to say there's Albert and Frederick. They're twins. Yeah, because one of them was called Freddy. But yeah. yeah, so it's almost like they, they amalgamated them. I think that brother's twist is actually brilliant. And that's why this movie is demanding a second watch. Because you see that second brother from one of the opening scenes. Yeah. He's just covered in makeup and hair and stuff. And you don't well, realize. And it's like, and oh, fuck. The cool thing. So he, they call him Fallon. You look at him and it's like, you can't tell. You can't tell that that's yeah. Christian Bale. If you look at the eyes, which they make a it's point of covering with glasses and a hat, you can't tell that it's him. Like, I specifically looked, and I'm like, I definitely wouldn't have caught that the first watch. Definitely not. So, just the fact that I wonder, you know, which one proposed the idea first? Because it wouldn't have necessarily come to them, you know, unanimously in a vision at the same time. Well, I was wondering, why wouldn't you have one brother who's always in makeup and he plays that other character when they're out, instead of trying two people living one life, why would you try to have them married to the same woman, having the same kid? That's a good question. How about behind closed doors, you be whoever you want, but whenever you're out, one is always the makeup. One is always the guy who comes out of the box. Instead of doing the switcheroo, because that just messes everything around, and you wouldn't have had to chop your fingers off. Like, why would you try to even pull that off for years and years? Because it was probably fun. You reckon? Like, it was all part of it. Sounds extremely demanding, and everyone that you come in contact with, you're just sending through this Hell. grinder of torment. Yeah. It pushes their wife to suicide. Well, they said, we each had half a life and that was enough for us. Okay. Because they were devoted to the trick, which to mm. me in itself is like unhealthy to be that devoted to anything. Obsessed. And that's what David Bowie says a lot. Yeah. Like there's passion and then there's obsession and that's obsession. Yeah. And I do like how Tesla was saying those sort of things. I just wonder, like, when did this come to you? Because even in the beginning when he says, I've got a trick, like, they're already hiding each other. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, like, how long have they been doing it for? The fact that they've been working together for God knows how long and that hasn't been revealed. Yeah. So they were, yeah, they were in, in on it from the very beginning. Do you think they'd been in on it since they were teenagers or since the one of them got into a stage show? I'm thinking since one of them got into a stage show. I think so. God, it's messed up. I'm trying to think of, like, there's so many thoughts I have around that that I'm trying to just... There's a bit that really stuck with me that Tesla says, and, I, and it became really kind of the mantra of this movie. 
And so Tesla says to Danton, Man's reach exceeds his grasp, but his grasp exceeds his nerve. And Danton goes on later to say man's reach exceeds his imagination. And I just think if you sit down and pick apart and think about it, like it's very kind of the whole theme of the movie. Very profound. Yes. Like those statements are the theme behind everything that happens in this movie. Man's reach exceeds his grasp. What he can hope to achieve exceeds what he can actually achieve and hold on to. And what he can actually achieve is more than he probably should be. And what he's willing to do. Yeah. And by the end, he's saying what he can actually reach for and get to exceeds what he could have possibly imagined. Or anyone could. The fact that you don't generally get there is a good thing. Yeah, that's what Tesla was saying. Yep. I really like the way Tesla was actually displayed in this and the fact that they got David Bowie to do it. I just think that whole... He was wonderful. He was. He has done acting stuff before. But um, yeah, it's it's always when I watch this, I'm like, oh yeah, David Bowie. It's so strange. Um, Because it is kind of a quiet, more timid sort of character and not the eccentric persona that we know of as David Bowie. Um, But I really do like the way that it's acted and the character is portrayed because he has a lot of good things to say and he's seen as very brilliant. Well, and there's something about the gentle nature of the way that he's acting that makes you want to listen to him so much more. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, he's not being irrational and radical and over the top. He's just saying, like, just don't do this. Yeah, because if he was eccentric, you would just think he's a crackpot. But he seems a lot more brilliant because of that. Well, he's grounded. Yeah. You know. Is he, was he like Eastern European or something? Where's Nikola Tesla from? Is he Serbian or something? Serbian, I think, is ringing my bell. Yeah. I don't know if I have anything else to say about this. I really like it. I think it's really messed up and it's got a lot more to say. If you haven't seen this a second time, go out and watch it. Yeah, because I promise you it's a totally different movie on a second watch. Absolutely. It really is, because we both had this experience where we thought it was more linear than what it was, and on the second watch we were like, oh, I don't remember this in the order that it is. Which is, like, a really strange takeaway. Like, that's not something typical. And I think it kind of is a testament to the way that Nolan can work with time. Like, that's not something I'd expect to be like, oh, yeah, on the second watch, I experience time differently. Like, that's not generally something that you'd take away. You'd be like, oh, I noticed more things or whatever. I'm just thinking, even with Dunkirk, it's like, okay, this is a true story. It's a war movie. Let's go. And he's like, no, no, no. I'm going to show you three different timelines, and they're all going to be running simultaneously. And it's like, you didn't have to do that, but he did it in a brilliant way that's very unique. Just even in that. He's like, I could do it linearly, but that wouldn't be the Nolan way. That wouldn't be fun. Exactly. He's enjoying it way too much. Yeah. You can tell that. At least he's good at it. Otherwise, I have no like, idea oh what this God. new Tenant movie's about, but it looks intriguing as hell. I have an idea of what it's about, just based on what I've seen in the trailers and stuff. And it looks interesting, but I'm not sure if it looks like interesting enough to go through the headache (laughs) right now (laughs) yeah well that's what a lot of people thought of before inception came out yeah and a lot of people love that one 
That one is very, like, you have to be in the right headspace to watch it because yeah. it's a lot. Inception is probably one of the more abstract ones of he's done, and that's saying something. I still really liked it. Even from the first go, yeah. I was like, I followed that. It was fucking cool. Takeaway, um, Christopher Nolan is pretty good at what he does, and he's one of a few, if not really the only one who kind of does what he does. I think he's the best director working now, and I do not say that lightly. Yeah. Well, to be able to create something, well, so many things that are so deep and so complicated that are still so easy to follow and enjoyable on top of that is really an accomplishment. Um, And in terms of The Prestige, it's an interesting movie. It's very different. I think it's still entertaining, though it's not one I would initially go out to see to be entertained. Um. Mm. But it's not a thinker in the traditional sense either. It's a feeler, honestly. That's interesting, yeah. Yeah, it's emotional and explores depths of emotion and motivation quite well and quite broadly and deeply. I would recommend it, though, not if you're not in the right mood <laughs> kind of thing. I think it deserves to be one of, like, what? what's this at? What number is this? 46. Any Nolan movies absolutely deserve to be in the top 100. Well, he's made 50. like eight movies and seven of them are in the top 250. Yeah. A lot of them are in the top 100. Yeah. So he's got he's got a better batting average than someone like Scorsese or Spielberg, Kubrick, which is impressive. He pretty much hasn't missed. He hasn't, and that's very impressive, impressive considering the only miss he's really had was Dark Knight Rises, maybe, but that was all studio push, really. Mm. And even then, it's not terrible. Plus, like, the Joker died. <laughs> so Exactly, yeah. yes. He also, he would have had lots of plans as to what to do with the Dark Knight yeah. sequel had Ledger not have died, so yeah. he was kind of pushed into a corner with that one, so. Yeah. I'm very eager to see anything that he touches from now on. Yeah, cool. We have been Danielle and Brenton this week. Thanks for joining us. Feel free to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Check us out on all the socials. We're most active on Instagram. You can follow us on Facebook, comment on SoundCloud or YouTube, or support us on Patreon. And until next week, thanks for listening.